Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast. Um, we're reaching the uh, mid to end of August, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying the last little bit of summer. Uh, out our way, uh, I'll say personally, I've been very busy. I am now uh, uh, have no children at home. I dropped my son off at college at USC last week, and my daughter's up in New York at NYU She's a senior, so I have that uh, empty nest, so, which means we'll have more time for doing podcasts. Not likely. But anyway, um, I thought I would first address a couple issues. One of the things on our podcast site is that we ask you, the listeners, to come up with ideas or comments and suggestions of things we should address. And one of the suggestions people have asked us is to comment on the use of CT in patients with suspected stone disease. And we do, like all of you, many stone studies in the emergency room. It's important to recognize that a stone study really is a very specific study in the sense there's no oral or IV contrast material. You're looking for the presence of renal or ureteral or a bladder calculus. You're looking for the signs of obstruction. And it's great for that. But if you're thinking about polynephritis, small tumors, hematuria beyond the possibility of stones, it's important to recognize that it's simply doing a non-contrast CT will not exclude those possibilities. So in saying that, patient comes in, classic history of stone disease, you do a CT, non-contrast, you look for the presence of hydronephrosis, you look for transitions in the ureter, whether it's at the UPJ or it's at the UV junction or mid-ureter, you look for transitions to see where a stone is, if a stone's present, you'll see it. Typically, the kidney will enlarge. It will be hypodense relative to the contralateral kidney. You may see stranding in the peri and pararenal space, often due to pilocinus uh, uh, extravasation of urine. So these are the typical findings we will see. Now, the question is, if someone has hematuria and you do a stone study and it's negative, what should you do? Well, in those cases, you can do urine cytology and you want to make sure the patient uh, uh, is not having an infection. And of course, younger patients in the 20s or 30s, it's always a good thought. But in someone in their 50s, it probably pays at that point to give IV contrast, do a dual phase study, uh, including an early phase at about 30 seconds and surely an excretory phase that allow you to pick up essentially all tumors, whether it's small renal cell carcinomas that are vascular or hypovascular. The late phase will allow you to detect transitional cell carcinomas, even the smallest lesions. What we will do, of course, is use thin section CT. So on the excretory phase, we can create CT urograms. We always will, again, recommend or at least tell the referring clinician that if there's hematuria, and we see no stone, you can't stop there. You need to do additional studies. Again, different age groups, people will discuss whether you should look in the bladder for a small cancer. Uh, you can have, obviously, hematuria for many causes. Patients with enlarged prostates, patients who have uh, you know, cystitis, are just some examples. But again, it's important to recognize that a non-contrast CT for a stone study can simply, in 99% of cases, rule in or rule out a stone, but it can't exclude the other myriad of causes for hematuria. So that's just a word to the wise. Again, um, at times the referring physicians will forget about that, particularly in the ER setting, and you may have to remind them. 
The second question that people have asked us is, what about beta blockers for doing coronary CT angiography? And I've spoken about this before, but let me just tell everybody, we typically will give oral beta blockers, metaprolol, 50 milligrams, about an hour before the study. That probably works in 90% of cases. Many people use 100 milligrams, which will work better. If patients are not... Uh, uh, satisfactorily controlled. You can give IV metaprolol, five milligrams over five minutes, or every five minutes tends to work very well with different sites using between 10 and 20 uh, milligrams IV. And people do ask, well, if you give uh, beta blockers, do you need to watch the patients for a period of time? Typically, if the patient is fine following the study, uh, that is satisfactory. The uh, half-lives are pretty quick. This is especially true when using the oral beta blockers. If you're giving someone 10 to 20 milligrams IV, I probably would keep them around for 15 minutes. It's unlikely for there to ever be a problem, but it's something to indeed think about. I've also been asked about nitroglycerin. I've addressed that before. I commented that we're not giving it at this point routinely, though many other sites are. So it's something that you should think about. But if you are doing it, remember there are some complications. Patients will develop headaches, particularly those with normal coronary arteries. And again, it's something that you would need to pay attention to. It's important for radiologists to recognize that we typically have dealt with drugs being IV contrast material and learning how to treat reactions to IV contrast. If you use beta blockers, if you use nitroglycerin, you have to be aware of the potential complications and risks and be aware of how to manage that. Again, it's not only you, but your technologists and the nurses involved in the procedure. So in-services become very important, and we can address this as well on one of these uh, telecasts if people would like us to. And, uh, in fact, that's one of the good things with this podcasting. Finally, uh, again, I'll comment that if you have any ideas or suggestions for topics, please let us know. What we're learning in doing the podcasting, it has certain tremendous advantages. From the time I finish this lecture to the time you're able to listen to it will be just moments away. Also, if you subscribe to it, when you uh, open the music store from Apple, it automatically will ask you if you want the newest podcast downloaded. So it's indeed very convenient. We also are finding which topics work well. Again, I don't have images, so what I need to do is address different topics where we can discuss the how-to, do things, some of the complications, potential ways of interpreting information. So I think all in all, there's certain tremendous advantages. We've been asked, how does podcasting fit into education? I think time will tell, but... From our position, uh, I think it's going to be very critical because how else can you at essentially very low cost communicate with a large audience very quickly? It's amazing how many people you can communicate with in such a rapid fashion. So we look forward to this. Again, we look forward to your comments and we'll try to do a few other podcasts tomorrow. And so if you have anything that's really on your mind, let us know. With that, let me wish you a good afternoon, and we'll speak to you tomorrow. Thanks a lot.